especially if you're in the cloud, your data is moving very fast. We're starting to see some really great technology coming out and just a practice around not only where the data lives, but how you're securing it where it lives, how you secure it when it moves, and then understanding the privacy impacts and really digging in and understanding how many databases are there as just, it's a really fascinating part of the industry that I'm very excited for. Welcome to Code to Cloud. I'm your host, Andy Schneider. And with me, we have today's guest, Julie Cicillo, VP and Head of Cybersecurity at Guild Education. Julie has more than 20 years of experience in information security, governance, risk, compliance, threat vulnerability, IT audit, privacy, a couple of others, and legal. We will talk about that legal as well. Um, Julie, you've won the Apex Caesar of the Year Award for Colorado, and you're one of the inspiring leaders of our Lacework Secured by Women initiative. Welcome to the show, Julie. Thank you. It's great to be here, Andy. So before we dive into security, um, help me explaining what Guild Education is doing. Sure. Um, Guild is a late-stage startup, and we help large companies with their uh, career advancement program. So we help their employees find the right program for their career advancement path, choose a school, or maybe a certification. We then coach them to stay in school uh, and then help facilitate the payment back to the uh, school. Uh, without the students ever being out of pocket on money. So it's a it's a great way if you're looking to build up your staff internally and you want to promote from within, it's a great program to get involved with. Okay, so it's, it's some kind of marketplace, you could say, bringing together... It is a marketplace, yeah, yeah exactly. Cool. So let's start and dive into security. What our listeners usually are interested in how do you get security being a business enabler? One of the first things I'll do uh, when I come into a company, I actually take quite a bit of time to support the sales team first, uh, since this is actually one of the, I think one of the areas CISOs actually hate them a lot, but it actually gets you a lot of goodwill very, very quickly. And so when I move in, one of the first things I do is find out how to support the sales cycle. How do we help move the deals along? So once you can get into the contracts, that's going to help you a lot to understand the business. The stuff in the contracts is, is what's important, and you'll start seeing what they'll fight for in the contract. So that's one of the ways that I do, an, an, I get immediate uh, kind of kudos <laughs> or brownie points uh, when I start supporting sales. Um, the other thing when moving into a practice is I actually don't attempt to change anything very quickly. Obviously, if there's a pretty big flaw that it could cause major problems. We'll work on that. But assuming you're walking in and things are pretty okay, they could be better, but they're okay. I kind of do a listening tour, stop and listen, really make a point to go to all the business meetings that I can get myself into, go to all the strategy meetings and just listen for a while to understand like where are the important pieces of the business and really going back to those teams and finding out how you can support them before you even ask them to change anything. And I think that's that's one of the big misses that we see in security, or we have in the past. I think there are a lot's changing there. Where security at a CISO he used to say, we can't walk in with the big stick of no. And so he was very, very, very big. Early on in my career, I had a great CISO who drilled into us. If you're not supporting the business, you're out of the business. And so I think just really having that mindset and understanding it's not just about you, there's a bigger business that you really have to pay attention to. Absolutely. There's one thing I listened to the Data Cloud podcast, maybe for our listeners, you can look that up, Data Cloud podcast. 
and then look for Julie, you will find it. It's very interesting where you talk about data ops. It was more about data ops than really, let's say, cloud security. But there was that you were talking about the emerging disciplines of data ops and security operations. And this was really fascinating. Could you walk us through what, what's on your mind if you think about data ops, security ops, and the emerging of these two disciplines? I think it's been a couple of years in the making. We're starting to see data ops. Not every company is going to have a data ops team, but we are starting to see this becoming really important to most companies. If your data is moving very, very quickly, uh, it's sort of like at the beginning of the DevOps practice where you were starting to see how can we ship small things? How can we move very quickly? And how can we make small changes with big impacts uh, without having to wait six months for it to happen? You're starting to see, or not starting, this is happening in the data ops industry. There is a real big movement for data to support the business. And I think you'll see that. I think people don't always name it. Uh, I don't think they always talk about it in this way, but really your data ops team is looking to transform the business and support it through data. And what that means, especially if you're in the cloud, your data is moving very fast. They're able to build out uh, databases quickly. They're able to move data um, much faster than they used to be able to. Not only just one cloud, multi-cloud, if you, you might have that. And the concept of like data loss prevention from a network is no longer in existence. And so as you start watching this happen at the company, you're realizing that it's building out a lot in the way that DevOps did and that there are people who are managing how the data moves. There are people who are building out pipelines similar to what you would see for a secure code uh, or for code practice. And the security that you use with the engineering team for like a DevOps practice, it doesn't translate. And so there's new technology emerging. We're starting to see some really great technology coming out and just a practice around not only where the data lives, but how you're securing it where it lives, how you secure it when it moves, and then understanding the privacy impacts. In particular, as you look at the privacy laws, there's a lot of movement around like who owns the data, how is the data, you know, there's a lot of around who owns the data. So as data moves, as it transforms, the ownership can also change. And so really trying to understand the impacts that the transformation has on the privacy rights for the data is, is just another aspect of it. So what would you say is data scaling more up like security from a people's perspective? So we know that there are more engineers than security people. Do, do, what do you think about data? I think they'll scale faster than your security team will. So in your scenario where you had a smaller security team, I do st still think you'll see that in Guild, like we definitely are investing in the data side. It's critical to how the company works. And so I think as more people have the freedom, as, as you start seeing this movement with the data and more freedom and, and more ability to do more with the data, I think these teams will scale for sure. I don't think they'll be as big as your engineering team. I don't think we'll see that, at least not in the near future. If we look at DevOps and DevSecOps, so like the security there is often translated as embedding security into DevOps so that DevOps is doing parts of security. If we look at data, data ops, do you think that they shall also do security related to data? So where, like you said, like where it lives, like things like ownership, more privacy-related topics? Is that then a task that the data ops team should do? 
I do think they will own a piece of it. This actually became so important to my team last summer. We ended up giving up an FTE from our team to data ops specifically to support our team uh, and help with some of some of the work that that even we're wanting to get out of the data. And so we are building out a very close relationship with that team. We have a full team that supports us now. And we do have people on that team that are probably going to end up being somewhat close to like what you would call a security champion for the engineering side. Absolutely. From a skill perspective. So do you have that data ops skills in your security team? Or is that specifically, like you said, you gave away that headcount? So is it a security headcount in the data ops team, a little bit like you described, that champion pr principle? Or is it, do you also have the skills? We did not have the skills in our team and we didn't think we would. So that's why we gave up the FTE. We do require uh, everybody on my security operations team to, to know Python. And, and just knowing that is really helpful when we start working with the data ops team. I do believe I'm going to have to hire somebody to support support this role, kind of like DevSecOps and an AppSec engineer. I am going to have to hire somebody. I'm still kind of building out what this might look like and thinking about the practice, the tools we might use. I'm not sure what that job description looks like yet. I think that's why I'm hesitant to... You don't tend to find people in security with this knowledge. Uh, in fact, my own team, when we started looking into it, was like, I don't know how to handle this. Uh, which is why we pulled back a little bit and said, okay, then we're going to build it out. Let's do it the right way. If you go really completely up and look at the CISO, so the role of the CISO is changing. So I also see like privacy and security like coming together. Where they are very separated in different countries for several reasons, but I believe it should be, it's better to have that in one role. Uh, but actually there's no experience and no skills out there yet to do that. So the big question is for me always, from, just from a security perspective, when is something secure? So when do you know that your environment and your application and your data are secure? I don't know that I have a full definition of done on this one, but I'll tell you what I'm probably working towards. The Especially as we think about a cloud environment, for me, where I wouldn't feel comfortable until we know where all the data is and we're able to track it. We do currently have a new product that we're working with that looks at the metadata. So we're able to track when data is moving through metadata, which is really quite, quite interesting. But for me, like, it's not just where is the data, it's who owns the data. So combining where the data went with the data lineage, plus having the visibility into the security around those databases or your, or your buckets, I think that's when I would say we're done outside of also meeting the compliance regulations like right to be forgotten or portability, things like that. I think those are just sort of your basics at this stage. So moving beyond the basics, I would have to understand, I would want full visibility. And I think that is what's really lacking right now is there's so many tools out there and they'll give you a snapshot of, you, you can see little pieces of it, but you can't see everything together. Absolutely. So like, I don't want to mention like a CM. It feels like old-fashioned technology, but like a CM for everything in a new cool way. So putting everything in a huge, I don't know, data lake, doing it in a modern way, in a cloud-native way. That's what we do, yeah. So you, you are starting to see, there are, I guess I'll call them SIMs for privacy. When you go to the privacy conferences, 
there were, you're starting to see a trend in the industry where the people who were in security, they're now building out privacy tools. And so as you start looking at them, they actually look a lot like security tools on the front end. Like as you look at them, some of them do look like SIMs. But I, I think SIMs are limited. And so I think some of these tools also are limited in their visibility and their scope. And so going back to that security log data lake where I control what goes in, I control what I want to see out of it. That's a different way of thinking than just the SIM that's going to tell you what you want, what they want, what it wants you to see. Um, and so I think for privacy, you'll have to get to the same level of what matters to your business and what do you want to see out of it. And so not just relying on a SIM. Fantastic. That's really, really super interesting because I would say I'm good in that security part. But I always felt like a newbie in that privacy part. I was always fighting with my privacy office. Oh, we were doing things together. <laughs> but it felt like he didn't understand technology. And I have a pure technology mindset. So, but it's good to hear that this is changing. So if the, you could say the privacy industry is also getting more tech savvy, I think there are huge opportunities bringing both worlds together, just from a technology point of view. When I look at privacy, to me, it's about 10 years behind security right now. As you go to the conferences and you think about what you're hearing, a lot of what we're hearing on the stage is, I, I don't have a seat at the table. I can't get buy-in in the company. I don't know how to get training out there. And so a lot of the things you were hearing early on or about 10, 15 years ago that were just so present in the security industry, you're seeing that in privacy. And I think there's still going to be a world where, where there's a lot of attorneys or a lot of the people focused on the regulation. But if they're really going to have to start bringing on more technologists um, and understanding privacy and technology at the same time. And I think that that is something that is a huge skill gap right now and somewhere that could be an interesting career for people starting out. How would you define a good leader or security leader next to the communication skills that um, you mentioned? I think it's industry and business specific. So I, I think matching your skill set to the type of business you're in. Um, I think we mentioned at the beginning, I am a risk taker. I am willing to take risks. I match very, very well with a startup or another company that's really pushing the bounds of the technology that they're using. I do not match well with like a large bank. <laughs> My temperament is different. I'm willing to take more risks than they're usually happy with and then vice versa like understanding like if you really like that regimented part of security if you like the part where you're following every regulation to a t that that you know going into a startup is probably going to be hard for you or going into to a company that's pushing the bounds on technology you're probably not going to succeed and so i think it's really taking a look at your skill set and your philosophy and how you view security and risk and compliance and matching it up with the right business. I think that's so critical. The other thing that's really, really important for a leader, especially in our industry, is skilling up your own staff. And I do drink the Kool-Aid here at Guild on this one. Uh, I do think it's so important to support your team and and to understand the skills that they need to grow and, and move. And sometimes it's move within and sometimes it's move out. But if you don't really invest in your own team, I do think it limits your practice. I do think it limits the kind of technology you're going to be able to support, you know, two to five years from now. I really love that. So making the way for the next generation so that you skill them up, it's, it's super essential. 
OneNote to Guild Education. So it's a women-owned technology startup. That's right. And yes, as far as I know, everyone who reports to you is a woman. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. That's um, correct. I've I haven't added up the numbers. I'm either, I think I'm actually probably over 50% women on my team as well. Uh, and so that includes the more technical parts of my team. So uh, we make a real effort. We do also make a real effort with DEI. And so I think that's the other thing is like being open to, I think this is the other area I would say, like I think makes a good leader in security. Don't just be looking for that credential or the right school or things like that. Like finding the right mindset and the right person, I think, is is going to open up your ability to hire within the DEI framework and then to support that next generation. Because if we only focus on that next cert, the school, uh, I think it limits your who you, who you're going to hire. Absolutely. And do you have any tips for women? How can we get more women into? the cyber industry or privacy industry. I think both, if they merge, are essential. Because I just don't see enough women. And let's say, it's not just women. We need like diverse teams. They are much more efficient, effective. They bring better results. That's proven. So how can we change that? Um, the f you obviously did that. So how can you do that? <laughs> Yeah, the first is being open to people not having the right credentials on their resume. Yeah. I think that's number one. There's a lot of research out there that that's going to help you. I think in supporting women, uh, women, I think, actually do very, very well in security for many reasons, especially as you look at the DevSecOps um, industry and probably what's emerging on the data ops practice. They tend to um, be able to do the communication better. They tend to be able to network really well. And this really helps to build up the trust that you need with these other teams. And so I think supporting some of the skill sets that don't seem traditional in your security um, stack really will help you bring on some people who you might not be able to bring on initially. I think the other thing is just being open to mentoring and supporting some of the groups out there that, that are, you know, like all of the women in security groups that are out there. And to be honest, like, I think Supporting women, giving them awards, uh, making them visible in the industry, giving them a voice. Uh, certainly today's podcast is a great example of that. I just, I think those are the ways that you lift them up. And then I think the last thing is that we are really going to have to start going earlier than high school if we're going to be talking about moving into the DEI, like moving into DEI and supporting women in particular. By the time you've hit high school, you're probably starting to have already made decisions about what your career path might look like. We really have to go earlier. They have to see visibility in the elementary school, probably middle school, where they're seeing role models that they can look up to or what that career path might look like. I think high school's too late. Before we talk about how you can become a CISO or your tips, in every episode, I talk about failures that I did. So this time, I will just mention very long ago where I had to learn the OWASP fail securely principle the very hard way. So uh, not everyone knows that I did serve the military in Germany like 24 years ago, so really long time ago, but I was good in computers. So I stitched together computer parts and sold that to other colleagues. Super expensive, so oh. I made a lot of money with that. There was one problem. So I now know that in the US and Canada, there's that you have 110 voltage. In most countries in Europe, you have 220. 
And I didn't look at that physical switch on the power supply. So it was switched to 110 voltage. Oh, no. And what <laughs> happened when I, when I plugged in the computer that I stitched together, the whole power of the building went down. And I was in a building for the German commando course. So this is like an elite train training unit. So they, they were called out because someone thought someone did some nasty thing and they had to oh, go no. <laughs> into the woods over the weekend. So it was the winter. So it was really cold. I was the only one that they forgot because I wasn't a part of that. I'm not a pacifist, but yeah, I, I had to do that. But more or less, I caused that problem because I did not look at that fail securely principle. So it failed and brought down the whole power supply of the building. Wow. It's just a, 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 but, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, but I think we, we should talk more about failures. That's why I usually reveal that we are doing a lot of failures in our career. And it's good if we talk about that. But you don't have to reveal all the failures that you did. <laughs> I just do that for fun. Yeah. Um, but what has been your biggest learning in your career? Oh, well, luckily I haven't brought any buildings down. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't power recommend failure. It. That's a great story, though. I think the hardest lesson for me and one that, you know, I still continue daily to work on is the communication piece. And so I think there's so many times where I'll like my next stage of growth for me will be because I failed communication in one state and sort of really do could derail a project or something didn't move forward because of a lack of communication or how I communicated something. Or fail, failing to really bring the business along as to why it was important. And so I think this is one area, and I, uh, I even see this with my team, where I do talk about communication quite a bit, where it can be really, really hard if you're just really in that technical part of the security and you're not understanding how to get across why what you're doing is important or why what you found matters. It can really like cause you to not move forward and it can cause your whole project to fail. And so I think that is something like, especially early on, just not understanding. I think we talked about like stop and listen. And that stop and listen is just really, I think it's hard to control the impulse when you think you're in the right and you think you need to listen to me. I'm the expert. Why aren't you listening to me? And I think that is just, there's been many times in my career where I've overstepped this bound or I've, I've said the wrong thing and it just causes you to move backwards two steps. Uh, and especially as you move up, as you think about, hey, I want to get to that next position, the level of communication and precision that you need in your communication just gets even greater. Like it, if you're going to think about communicating to a board or a C-level or or any like even VP plus, it's just so paramount that you've taken time to listen to them and that you're not just starting to talk about everything that you want when you start out. And so I would say I didn't bring down a building through power, but I've definitely brought things down through lack of precise communication. Where did your journey in security start? How did it start? I have sort of a convoluted path. I always say I have sort of a snake-like path in, into security. Um, I actually started out working for the Department of Justice. We, uh, we did environmental law and water law, things like that. And so I actually had nothing to do with technology in the beginning. Uh, spent time as a paralegal uh, right at the time they were starting to 
go to e-filing in the industry. And so I ended up running the e-filing database, mainly because I liked Excel. And at the time, there was some thought that maybe liking Excel translated into being a person who could run a database, um, but really enjoyed it. And then from there, I actually moved into the IT audit industry very early on uh, when audit was starting to do um, IT audits in support of the financials. And so I got sort of a, a upfront training for that and, and just really some great training at the state of Colorado where we looked at systems ranging from mainframe all the way to just pre-cloud. Uh, we were just starting to get in the cloud at the time and then uh, moved from audit into risk. So uh, risk and compliance, more from the perspective of being the person who got audited uh, by many federal agencies and then also the emerging risk practice for the state of Colorado. It was also here where I got exposure to project management or like a project management office where we really started to think about as a security team, how do you move security into earlier parts of the life cycle? Uh, especially if you're doing waterfall or, or very, very large projects uh, that you might see in the federal or state arena. These projects could take anywhere from six months to two years and waiting to do security until the end uh, was really detrimental. We were having a lot of problems. And so that team at the state really worked hard to get security into the life cycle of a very long project. So this was leading up to my move into DevSecOps, where I already came to that philosophy with the engineers saying like, hey, let's try and move security early as early in the life cycle as possible. So when I had the opportunity to help uh, an emerging DevOps practice and get get security in there, it was already natural for me to be having those conversations. So that was a, it was a really great to be early on in the, on the DevSecOps movement. Our company even made everybody read the Phoenix Project, which was quite entertaining at the time. From, the classic. from there, Must read. yeah, I could see every part of security. I'd worked with everybody in that book uh, in, my, in my life. Uh, and so from there, I got to move to Guild, where I continue to build out DevSecOps practice and then moving. Uh, more into uh, some of the more modern practices that we're starting to see emerge, such as uh, security log data lake and what I believe to be an emerging practice between uh, data ops and privacy and security. Well, that's fascinating. So it sounds a little bit like not a planned career. It sounds like no. <laughs> it more or less happened. Uh, is that right? It was a mix of being in the right place at the right time and willing to take risk. And so every one of these moves where I moved into the next emerging practice I definitely had to think about it. You know, I was moving into something I didn't know anything about, being willing to try something new. So right place, right time, but also having the mindset of, I'm going to take a risk and try it. That's super fascinating. Yes, you had to be looking for the right door or window. I don't think I know any CISOs who started out and said, I'm going to be a CISO someday. I, I just don't know anybody who yeah, right. was in college and said that. Maybe now we're starting to see some some more career growth being built out in the industry and some more clear paths. I still think it's not a clear path. I think there's many, many ways to get there, but probably people at least saying, hey, someday I want to be a CISO. Let's talk about your background. So you have that legal background. Um, you went from legal to audit and then over to risk. So did that legal background and that audit background help you? Because somehow for me, very often I hear from other CISOs or security teams like DevSecOps and legal or DevSecOps and audit are like like on the opposite side. So how do you solve that? Or do you even see that problem between them? 
I don't see that problem. I, I can see how you would see that problem. Um, I think where the legal and audit and even risk helped me in DevSecOps, first of all, was was knowing how to negotiate. So <laughs> there's a lot of negotiating that has to happen between a security team and your a developer team or your your engineers, your DevOps team. And I think understanding how that works, how that chess game has to play out and understanding how to get people to buy into your story and buy into your way of thinking. And that is really important uh, as you think about any lawyer or even with a, a well-run audit, you're going to have to do that. I like that. So the two things I, I have to note down is being a negotiator. I think that's a very critical uh, skill of a CISO, of every CISO, being a good negotiator yes. between all the different parties and time. That's actually what I've seen also quite a lot. So if you slow down development, you're like the preventer of business. So uh, You are at that point, yes. This was brilliant. So I, I have a couple of takeaways. Talk to sales. This is something you mentioned in the beginning. Yes. <laughs> because CISOs or security practitioners I hate to talk to sales, but it's essential. Yes. That's where the business is made. So talk to sales, get closer to the business, read the contracts and help them being successful. Then you earn your kudos and then you are more lo no longer the preventer of the business. So that's, that's what you said. Time in is essential if you do DevSecOps. So if you slow them down, you will create enemies. The Caesar should be like a negotiator. I really love that. So negotiator and communicator, that's like key skill you should have. And I really like that. And not looking at, let's say, the degrees or the standard path, but giving the chance to everybody to start yes. in security. And for every one of us, we should be role models. I really like that conversation. Julie, this was brilliant. I loved Excellent. it. Oh, thank um, you. I had a great time. <laughs> thank you. Where can we find you? Is it LinkedIn? LinkedIn. Yes, I'm, that's the only social media I do. So uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Perfect. So find Julie on LinkedIn and follow her. You can also follow me and hope to see you next time on our Code to Cloud podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Lacework, the leading data-driven cloud-native application protection platform. Lacework is trusted by nearly a thousand global innovators to secure the cloud from build to run. Lacework delivers true end-to-end -end protection, empowering customers to prioritize risks, find known and unknown threats faster, achieve continuous cloud compliance, and work smarter, not harder, all from one unified platform. Learn more at lacework.com.